Hey everyone, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you, and I hope that you have some community around you to talk through some of these concepts and truths with. If you don't, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our community here at Restore. You can get all that information on our website at restoreaustin.org. We'd love to see you there or at one of our Sunday gatherings really soon. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Yeah. Hey everyone, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you, and I hope that you have some community around you to talk through these truths and concepts with. If you don't have community like that, we would love to invite you to be a part of Restore. You can get all the information about our church at restoreaustin.org. We would love to see you soon at one of our Sunday gatherings, and we hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Our new normal. It's a phrase that I hear and think about every single day now. Every time I jump on a Zoom call, instead of getting to have coffee or meet with someone in person, I think, I guess this is just our new normal. Every time my kids complain about having to do school online or missing their friends, I, I just sit down with them and I say, hey, this is, this is just our new normal for right now. Every time we try to get groceries and everybody is wearing masks and there's not enough food or the stuff that you need is not there or you order a grocery pickup and only half of the things you order actually get delivered to you, I, I think, I guess this is just our new normal for right now. Even when I arrive here every Sunday morning in our little studio in South Austin to do our live stream for another gathering, I think, is, is this just a new normal? It seems like no matter where I am or what I am doing, I'm thinking or somebody is saying or even I am saying, hey, I, I guess this is just our new normal and, and we have to adjust to it. I could spend the next hour enumerating all the ways our lives have changed since COVID-19 hit the United States. The other day, I heard a sociology expert say that coronavirus has changed the day-to-day -day lives of more Americans than anything since World War II. Things have changed dramatically and unquestionably. Now, only time will tell if these changes will last forever or if they will some fade away, but I do know one thing for certain. Our world today is radically different than it was a month ago. We are living in a new normal. And it's not surprising that this new normal has made all of us long for our old normals. If you think about it, think about when we talk about all the things we want to do after coronavirus is behind us, it's not a bunch of new stuff, right? It's not skydiving or Rocky Mountain climbing. It's not 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. That was a Tim McGraw reference for those of you that are very confused by that. But my point is this, all the new stuff we're not missing it. We're not longing for it. In this new normal, we're longing for the old stuff, the old normals, the everyday things that we took for granted, seeing the people that we love in person, leaving our homes without masks on, and going to church gatherings with other people there with us. I think the biggest thing we all long for is each other, right? We miss birthdays and barbecues. We miss hugs and handshakes. And most of all, we miss our family and our friends. 
I've really started to feel the weight of missing my family and friends over the last couple of weeks. Like I mentioned last Sunday, Easter is always a reunion of sorts for our church family at Restore. It's not an exaggeration to say that I'm usually sore on Sunday afternoons after Easter morning because of I've given out so many hugs. I miss our church. And when I say that, I, I don't mean I miss the middle school where we meet each week because the church isn't a building, right? The, the church is people. Now, please don't get me wrong. I 100% agree with the experts that we shouldn't be gathering in person as a church family right now. And I'm so thankful for the technology that allows us to still gather virtually together during this time. But I miss you guys. I miss you guys. I miss hearing your voices singing along with the band, no matter how good or bad they are, no matter how loud or soft they are. I miss seeing our kids trying to sneak an extra donut off the donut table when they think their parents aren't looking. I miss the high fives and the handshakes and the hugs. I miss you guys. I miss you guys. But this is our new normal. And I think it's going to be with us for a while. So what do we do? What do we do? What does this new normal mean for our church and for the church around our city, state, nation, and world? And again, when I ask that question, I'm not talking about what it means for the place. I'm talking about what it means for the people because the church has taken many forms over the centuries. They've met in shacks, in stadiums, and in everywhere in between. They've met in huge buildings, totally unafraid of expressing their beliefs, and they've been forced to meet underground because they were afraid for their lives. But no matter what it looked like or where they were gathered for the last 2,000 years, the church has had some commonalities. These things that we've shared from first century Jerusalem to 21st century Austin, some things have remained the same. Since its inception, the church has shared a common identity and common practices. Through wars, exiles, famines, persecutions, plagues, and yes, even through pandemics, regardless of where they were or what was happening around them, this identity and these practices for the church have remained steadfast. We know that because they are found in the earliest descriptions of the first church from the New Testament book of Acts. And it answers these two questions for us. Who were they and what did they do? The first church, who were they and what did they do? What was their identity and what was their practice? These two things are what we will spend our time looking at over the next few weeks in this series because we are convinced that this new normal for us today means a return to emphasizing who the church has always been and what the church has always done. Or to put it another way, our new normal is actually rooted in our old normal. This morning, I want to give us some background on the book of Acts, which is actually a letter written by someone that probably most of you have heard of, and then look at our first question. Who was this first church? So let's dive in. As I said a second ago, what we call the book of Acts is actually a letter. Verse one says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So that first line, right, in my former book is an important one. You see, the book of Acts is directly connected to another book in the New Testament. It's a sequel to the gospel of Luke written by, you guessed it, Luke, 
I'm just imagining when I do that, ask that question that all of you are yelling out the answer at home like my kids do when we watch Little Einsteins or Dora the Explorer and they ask a question and you're supposed to yell it out. So I love that you just did that. I'm just gonna pretend that you did it, even if you didn't. Now, Luke, this guy, he's a fascinating individual. We know from other parts of the New Testament that he was trained as a physician, that he was a disciple of the apostle Paul who traveled all over the Near East with him starting new churches. And he was a historian, chronicling the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the beginning of the very first church. Luke took these assignments, these jobs that he had, these roles that he played very, very seriously. Listen to the opening verses of his first letter, the Gospel of Luke. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke writes both these letters, both these books, to an unknown person named Theophilus. Now Theophilus is literally translated friend of God. So many scholars believe that Luke wasn't writing to a specific person, but instead writing to anyone, any friend of God interested in knowing more about the story of Jesus and his church. But regardless of if Theophilus was an individual or a group, Luke carefully investigated and then wrote both books for the same purpose so that there would be an orderly account of the life of Jesus and this movement he started that came to be known as the church. Now, there are many characters in the story of Acts. Peter, John, Philip, Lydia, Stephen, Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila, just to name a few. And that's why this book is often referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. But that title doesn't appear anywhere in the earliest manuscripts. It's simply called Acts. And some have said this title is referring to the acts of the church leaders that I mentioned a moment ago, but I actually disagree. I think this book is primarily about God and what he is doing in and through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. These are the acts of God through the Holy Spirit. That may sound like a difference in semantics only, but I think it's a very important distinction for us as we study this book. Because if the book is about just what a bunch of church leaders did a long time ago, then studying it is really just an academic exercise for the church today. But if the same Holy Spirit that lives in us lived in them, if the same Holy Spirit that directs us directed them, then this book gives us an incredible picture of the things that he has done and the things that he wants to do in and through the church. Not just back then, but for us today. Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit working in and through his people to bring salvation to the whole world. This has always been and will always be the mission of God. It was true in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and even in the midst of a pandemic, it is still true for us today. It's God bringing salvation through his people to the entire world. Every story in the Bible fits into this larger story of who God is and that mission that he is on. In the big story of the Bible, God is often referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You may have heard that. It's a phrase that's used all over scripture, including here in this book of Acts. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are considered to be the fathers of the Hebrew people. 
but they had more than just that in common. Listen to the promise that God, there are two things. The first one is that God promises that they will each have numerous offspring that spread out all over the world. And the second thing is that God promises that through them, God working in and through his people to bring salvation to the whole world. It's him, he, him taking one family and rest, restoring his relationship followers. And now in Acts and through the rest of the New Testament, we see it happening through the church. God working in and through his people to bring salvation to the whole world. There's a reason that John 3.16 is the most popular verse in the Bible, because probably better than any other place, it sums up this mission that God is on. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God so loves the world that he wants to save the world. God so loves the world that he wants to save the world. And contrary to what you might have heard, it's the whole world that God loves and wants to save. Not just people who look or think or act like you do. I love how God isn't shy when he declares that the salvation he has brought is for the whole world, the entirety of humanity. You see, all throughout history, including today, people have tried to build walls to keep others out of God's family. But God just keeps knocking them down and making room for everyone. The book of Acts is filled with God knocking down these man-made walls with his relentless love and welcoming everyone into his family, no matter who they are or what they've done. You see, people said salvation was only for the able-bodied. God says, no, it's for everyone. And in Acts chapter three, he uses Peter to heal disease and share salvation with those who are disabled. A lot of people said that salvation was only for the wealthy. God says, no, it's for everyone. And in Acts six, he uses Stephen to give food to the hungry and to share salvation with the poor. People said salvation was only for those in the sexual majority. God says, no, it's for everyone. And in Acts 8, he sends Philip to share salvation with and then baptize a sexual minority called the Ethiopian eunuch. People said salvation was only for men. God says, no, it's for everyone. And in Acts 16, he uses Paul to share salvation with a woman named Lydia. Lydia would go on to start the very first church in Europe in her home. People said salvation was only for certain races and ethnicities and nationalities. God says, no. It's for everyone. And in Acts 1, 8, Jesus sends out his disciples to the very ends of the earth so they can share his love with every tribe, tongue, and nation. This has always been and will always be the mission of God. He loves the whole world and he wants to save the whole world. It's as true today as it was for the first church. But oh my goodness, When God worked in and through that first church to bring salvation to the whole world, it was something truly incredible to behold. That first church became a place where age, race, gender, socioeconomic status, background, and lifestyle became totally secondary. Everything that separated people paled in comparison to the Holy Spirit that united them. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is the great equalizer. The Holy Spirit doesn't care who you are, what you've done, or where you've come from. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus. The first church understood this. The first church put this into practice in ways that were truly radical 
in their time and place. You see, they brought together men and women. They brought together old and young, slave and free, rich and poor, citizens and immigrants, people of every class, race and background. And for the first time in recorded history, these people from radically different backgrounds and lifestyles all stood together on equal footing as a part of the same family. First century historians tell us that the Roman government officials, the ones who ruled over this part of the world at the time, were totally baffled by this first church. They didn't understand it. They had no idea how this incredibly diverse group of people had come together, much less why they loved each other and treat each other as equals. The world had never seen anything so diverse, so inclusive as this first church. So how did the church go from baffling governments with our incredible diversity to being what Dr. King calls the most segregated hour in America? I don't know. I think we kind of got in the way. I think we started building higher walls when God wanted to build longer tables and let more people in. But I'm telling you, if it takes a pandemic to awaken us to the fact that we have been busy building higher walls to keep people out instead of longer tables to welcome more people in, then so be it. Because y'all, we have to get back to who we were always supposed to be. The first church was the most radically inclusive group of people the world has ever seen, and that is exactly who we should be too. The first church was the most radically inclusive group of people the world had ever seen, and that's exactly who we should be too. And I'm telling you, the world needs it now more than ever. This is the answer to our first question. This new normal for the church should mean a return to an emphasis on radical inclusion of all people. God loves the whole world. He wants to save the whole world. Who are we to stand in the way of the mission of God? This is who the first church was, and this is who we should be too. The most common biblical metaphor used to describe God's family and God's kingdom made manifest here on earth through the church is people around a table. Rachel Held Evans says, this is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry and because they said yes. And there's always room for more. We have to operate with that mindset that at our table, there is always room for more because it's not actually our table. It's Jesus's table. And if you look at who he shared his table with when he was here on earth, it was scandalous. It was radical. It was crazy. It made the religious leaders scoff. It made the Roman government confused, but he did it. He opened his table to anyone and everyone who was hungry and who wanted a seat. We must do the same thing because these tables are not our tables. They are his tables. They are his tables. We don't get to decide the seating chart. It's his party. We don't get to make the guest list. He makes the guest list. This is his party. This is his table. We simply have one seat at it like anyone and everyone else who wants one. This was the mindset of the first church. That's why in Acts 2.47, it says, the Lord added to their number daily, 
those who were being saved. Every single day in this first church, new people were welcomed with open arms. They were invited to pull up a chair and have a seat at the table. That's just who they were, welcoming, open, inclusive. That's who we must be too. That's why here at Restore, we believe that we are a place where anyone has a seat at the table and everyone experiences the extravagant love of Jesus. One really cool part of this new normal is that anyone and everyone can explore church easier than ever before. They can experience an online gathering without having to worry about weird looks or or feeling judged. And as they explore, I hope the church uses this as an opportunity to return to who we were and who we were always supposed to be, a group of people that loves and includes everyone because we have joined God on his mission because God loves the whole world and he wants to save the whole world. If we make it anything other than that, we are no longer joining God on his mission. We are making a mission of our own that is in contradiction to the mission of God. And that is a place, friends, that none of us want to be. Join God in his mission. I hope this new normal prods the church back to joining God in that mission. I pray that when this is all over, we will return to in-person gatherings filled to the brim with people who are so different than anyone who looked at us would say, the only way they could come together is because of Jesus. The only thing they have in common is the Holy Spirit that unites them. They are different in every single way, but they've come together because they've placed their faith in Jesus. I pray that when we don't have to socially distance any longer, we will better recognize the image of God in every person and welcome them with open arms, no matter who they are or what they've done. Because even though the world around us has changed, our calling, my friends, has stayed the same. We might be living in a new normal, but we are still rooted in an old normal that goes back thousands of years that is so much bigger than any of us or any of our individual churches. This is an old normal. This is a calling given by God to the church, his people. That's who the first church was. The most radically inclusive group of people the world had ever seen, and it's who we should be too. Now that we've asked and answered our first question, over the next few weeks of this series, we're going to ask and answer the second question, which is what did the first church do? Just to give you a quick sneak preview, Acts 2.42 tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The church has been putting these four things into practice since the first Century. So each week for the next four weeks, we're going to dive in to one of these practices. We'll look at how the first church put them into practice and what it looks like for us to practice them in the midst of this pandemic. In other words, we'll look at how this new normal still stays rooted in the old normal. Because y'all, we believe staying connected to the Christians, the church who have walked this road before us helps keep us grounded in our faith, even in these uncertain times. So to help us do that, each week during this series, we are going to end the message with a reading of an ancient Christian prayer. It's called The Prayer for All Needs by St. Clement of Rome. Clement was a leader in the Roman church during the first century. 
Many scholars consider Clement to be the second person to be named Pope, following only the Apostle Peter, who we've just been talking about in Acts. We know from church history that he held this office from AD 88 to AD 99 when he passed away. Many faith traditions, including our Catholic brothers and sisters, believe that St. Clement was led to faith and baptized by the apostle Peter himself. Among other things, St. Clement is known for his letter to the church in Corinth that has been preserved since the first century. In it, he includes what has come to be known as the oldest Christian prayer outside of the Bible. There's something, for me at least, so incredible in knowing that over the last 2,000 years, these words from St. Clement have been prayed by literally billions of Christians in every city and language around the world. So as I pray this over us, I want you to think about those who have come before us. As you sit in this new normal, I want you to think about our old normal. As you are a part of the church today, I want you to think about that very first church. Because like an old trail through the woods, our sisters and brothers have walked this difficult road so many times that the path has become smoother for us to walk behind them. We can look in front of us and see the footsteps of those who have come before us and be reminded that we can keep walking in faith too. Because listen, the same Holy Spirit that lived in them lives in us. Let's pray. The Prayer for All Needs by St. Clement. We beg you, Lord, to be our help and our support. Free us from our troubles. Take pity on the lowly. Raise up those who have fallen. Give help to the poor, health to the sick, and bring home those who have wandered away. Feed the hungry, Ransom captives, give strength to the weak and courage to the faint-hearted. Let all peoples come to know that you alone are God, that Jesus Christ is your son and that we are your people, the sheep of your flock. For by your acts, you made visible the everlasting structure of the universe and set the earth on its foundations. For all generations, you have been faithful and just in your judgments and wonderful in your power and majesty. Wisely you have created and wisely you have kept things in being. All that we see shows your goodness. To all who trust you, you are faithful, kind, and merciful. Come, Lord, let your face shine upon us so that we may peacefully enjoy all good things. May your powerful hand be a roof over our heads and may your strength preserve us from all wrongdoing. Give peace and harmony to us and to all the inhabitants of the earth as you gave them to our fathers who called on you with trust and faith. You alone can give us these gifts and confer these favors on us. We put our trust in you through Jesus Christ, our high priest, the guardian of our souls. Through him be glory and majesty to you now and through all generations until the end of time. Amen.